Broadcasting from Fairfax, Virginia, you are now tuned in to the Highlight Cast with your hosts, Adam McNair and Kevin Long. All right, well, hello. Uh, welcome to the Highlight Cast again. This is Adam McNair from Highlight, uh, joined by Kevin Long. Hello. So, uh, I wanted to talk about a few things in this episode, uh, kind of catching up on where we've been so far this uh, this summer. We have been starting up contracts, so we've been a little bit of everywhere. We started up a contract up in Rockville. Um, we, after a lengthy protest, were able to finally start up a contract that is out in uh, St. Louis and um, Illinois all, side of St. Louis, Illinois side, yeah. and um, also out west. And then we started up a task order in uh, Santa Ana, California. So it's been busy already, just from a startup standpoint. But um, had a couple other things that have gone on. So you know, the government is increasingly using code challenges to select application engineering vendors yep. and. I'm thinking it's been a couple of years. I mean, how long have you been seeing them? Yeah, uh, well, it was a, they were really like a novelty, uh, honestly, until pretty recently, but like they just sort of popped up uh, a couple years ago, and now, now you, you can't look at, you know, GovWin without, you know, you can't shake a stick at it without hitting a code challenge uh, bid that, that's coming out or, or forecast to come out. So particularly like DHS. So yeah, um, it was uh, yeah probably what a, a year or two ago, a uh, real paradigm shift in how how the government buys things. Well, it it makes a lot of sense. I mean, to me, I think um, for years it was really a you had to write twenty or a hundred pages on how you would build an application and draw a great picture that describes what you're going to do. Yeah, and, and the thing was also, as Agile came around, you started right. to talk about, oh, we can build it faster and we'll have results for you faster and all of this mm-hmm. is going to be available. Yep. And so finally somebody basically said, okay, go ahead and just show us. Why don't you just do a sprint and show us what you can build? And um, yeah, it's, it's like the government just stared at, at the IT industry and said, I don't believe you. Well, yeah, and and also, I mean, like a lot of proposals, I think that's a complicated dynamic, but the it was very frequent that you would have stale requirements that were solutioned by a team where you wrote a bunch of stuff that then the delivery organization was not who was going to actually be involved in the solution. Yeah, solution by a team that that isn't even involved with who's going to manage the work. Yeah, and so and that certainly I think it happens more at the large business size than it maybe does at the small business end of the spectrum. But it certainly happens. It was prevalent I think. as as DevOps started to come out. It's like, well, you ought to be able to do this very rapidly. So why don't we just have you get in a room and we're going to give you a problem to solve. Um, and so we've done two recently. Now the first one that I was ever involved in um, has been. Before they called it a code challenge, so about 10 years ago, State Department has a name check system. And so they required a written proposal. Yep. And an oral proposal. And an oral presentation. But what they also required was 
said, okay, if you if you think that you can write an algorithm that will match names the way that we want it matched, mm-hmm. go ahead and build that, and then we want you to show up, and we're going to give you a list of names. You need to be able to solve these problems over the course of the day. List of names with various spellings, misspellings, and alphabets, yeah. Yeah, and, yep. and different... Um, you know, language and ethnicity names so that there's a lot of different complexities around it because when you start to get into cultural norms of names and somebody might be called two or three different things depending on the character set and the language and there's some languages where there's not a character that translates into right. the English language, but if you're going to do a visa or pat, you know, visa lookup, yeah. then oh, it, you, you have need, to translate it to English at some oh point. Oh, yeah, and you need to know that this John Smith is the one you're looking for and not that John Smith. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, oh. And there are even countries around the world where they essentially have approximate birthdays. They don't really oh mark down the same one, and so they, or they don't even track the birthday, and right. so they end up getting entered into systems as January 1st, but then if you do that you now have basically a false piece of data that you could be checking against and so it's like we're sure this is the same person because their birthday is january 1st it's like no along with everybody everybody else born in in the front half of the year it's it's january 1st so the the code challenge ended up being um we had a developer a linguist for high concentration languages like the common languages we had one for low density languages who was an expert they were a phd in languages where there's very few people that speak them and a database person and uh i I got to go to and so they took us to a to a, a room where actually the state department was having um another contractor uh, Noblis was, hmm. was the one that actually ran the process for them. So we went to their building and they showed us to a room and said, here is your computer. Um, here's the list of names. Here's the questions we're asking you. You have one day. Wow. We, we will come back at 5 p.m. today. And uh, everybody seemed very, very confident and I was very confident because everybody else was very confident because yeah. I I was really there to try to help make judgment calls or, or whatever, um, but not really from a technical perspective. Right. And so we get started, and we got started about 8 o'clock in the morning, and so by 9.15 they'd built, you know, integrated the pieces they were supposed to integrate, and they said, okay, well, we're going to do our first run, and there were 10 names we were supposed to check against, and they loaded the list in. And the thing blue screened and crashed oh, no. out, and, and and they said, "Well, that's not supposed to happen." <laughs> said, okay, well, <clears throat> on the realm of, gee, that's annoying. To we think we know what's going on. To I've literally never seen that happen before. What do we do now? Where are we? Right. And they're like, "Well, if it does it again, it'll be what you know will be. It, it'll of, be the bad yeah. one." And so they rebooted everything and they reloaded it and reset everything and they did it and it did that again and so then i just got to watch a couple of engineers and um linguists stare at error messages and code screens and try to do things and finally at um 
probably about three o'clock. He said, well, this was my only contribution to the whole thing. I said, look, if it, if it is hanging up, can we at least introduce some sort of a, of a routine to figure out where it's dying? And they did. And they said, well, it's, it's like name number four of ten. I said, okay. Just set it up to skip that one. I said, well, that means we will automatically be wrong. I said, well, we are aimed at giving them no answer. So yep. if we can answer three out of ten, that's great. If, if we can answer nine out of ten except for that one, that's better. But if we can answer zero, we, that's, a, that's fail. Yeah, and so and so we did that, and um, it turns out when they when they did kind of the lessons learned after the fact, there was a name that was I think it was something like eighteen characters long with no vowels, and so the wow. the flaw in the code was that one I guess one of the markers of name um, der- derivation so forth is. How, how many letters occur before the first vowel shows up. Oh, wow. And it was hard-coded in as some sort of a value, but if that ended up being null, it just died because it was not in the logic It was a, it was a null pointer error. Yeah. How wonderful. And, uh, and so there was some name, and of course... <clears throat> and that's why they picked that name. Yeah, and so when we were doing the lessons learned, they basically said, there was a really, really mean person that did this like I've been doing name algorithms for 20 some years which I didn't even know was a thing at the time but evidently that had been their whole career and I've never run across a name like that like this is the white whale of terrible names you could run across um but but so that that was really my 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 first code challenge which was sit in a room for eight hours and then watch everybody freak completely out for several hours and, and yep. have it ultimately not go very well. Um, we did one last week, I guess it was, and we've been Gosh, enough places really starting was. up projects. It I guess really it was, was last, last week. week. Wow. To me, what was, what was interesting about that one was just the logistics of right? we need you and all your people, regardless of where they are, to get to Boston. Yep. And set up in a facility and present everything. And then provide us with output from it and deliver it edited to us in a day. And honestly, the some of the logistical factors, I mean, I think we did a pretty good job accommodating um, because I think the big the, the big strategies there were let's not let's try to handle all the variables we can handle. So we tried to do things like, if we have to present in this room on Tuesday, we're going to reserve it all day Monday and sit in that room and get it set up and troubleshoot, because there was a lot of troubleshooting. Oh, yeah. The lights and the internet feed and the where people were going to sit and being able to have people see the right information on what screen. How zoomed in can you have the camera? Because the government wasn't there. The government was... Someplace, someplace else. Someplace else, yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely, and, you know, how, how does the microphone pick up, and uh, how can you present to the camera where your slide deck is presenting behind you where, so you're not talking away from the customer, and, yeah, I mean, all the, you know, how do you cheat out so you can get the your best side showing all the time? 
yeah, it's all the all the ins and outs of making a well, making a theater presentation go, plus coming up with all of the content around a DevSecOps tool chain uh, implemented, you know, process for how because the actual presentation was all about, you know, DevSecOps tool chain management and implementation and how you can uh, insert new previously unknown uh, tools into a tool chain without breaking it. And so it w- and so there was solve that problem and all of the logistics all around it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you know, solving the technical challenge of how they wanted us, what they wanted us to accomplish, yep. it seemed like was the easiest part, which which luckily, I mean... We, well, it was the easiest part because we we got the right people. Right, we had the right people and they knew how to do that. So yep. luckily the hard part for us was just the logistical part, which was not that hard. The upfront yep. part was okay. It was a little bit of effort and it was a little bit of scramble, but everything yep. went fine. Honestly, the, uh, the hardest piece of that entire thing was one of the requirements was we had to videotape the presentation mm-hmm. and they wanted a DVD in 48 hours. Yep. And who has a DVD burner even anymore? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, cuz <laughs> proposal stuff has gone over the years from everything has to be written, everything is printed out, everything is also submitted on CD and all this kind of thing. We've only done two paper-produced proposals in the last two years. Last two years. You do one a year, just so you don't forget how. Everything else is electronic, and yeah. so we get ready to do that, and it's like, wow, they really want this in paper. Okay, I guess we send it in paper. And it's little nuanced things. Like, we sent multiple versions of the paper copy because we didn't yep. know if they would have somebody there to receive it by the time they needed to. So we sent one by one carrier, another by another carrier. We sent one that was supposed to be signed for, one that didn't have to be signed yep. for. And the one that had to be signed for got delivered the following day because when they showed up the first time, it was too early, so they didn't, was, they didn't actually... It was actually... Four, four minutes before the, they would accept... Uh, deliveries. Yeah, yeah. They it, they arrived at seven fifty six a.m. Yeah. So the <laughs> other one that we sent got there fine, uh, but so that was one of those situations yeah. where they're like, are you, I mean, somebody might say, "Are you really going to send multiple versions of the same thing?" Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely, we are. Um, and so the for the most for the most technically sophisticated, forward leaning IT project in the DoD I've ever seen. Paper submissions burn a DVD. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing. It, it was, and um, and so then we end up with, okay, we want a DVD in forty eight hours, and at some level, I mean, I, I I don't blame them for asking us to do these kinds of things, and it doesn't surprise me that more agencies don't want to because it takes all the logistics off of them. You know, they sure want people to to review the bid. They don't have to print it out. They don't have to do any of that. They just hand nope. binders out. It's it's easier. And oh, I want to keep a file, a, a copy of this for the file. You've got it on a disc. You can put it in a box. I mean, yep. that's there's there's something that, that it does make sense from that standpoint. But so they said we want a DVD. We get we get done with with orals, and again the um, kind of overly cautious perspective was we are going to have 
two solid state GoPro cameras that we will use to film this with. And we will have a, an iPhone that we will take the as video the with as the backup. So we get in the room that we end up using to present, we realize that one of the GoPros doesn't shoot a wide enough angle to get everybody. So say, okay, we're not going to use that one. The second GoPro, okay, that one does. We're going to run that and the iPhone video. We get ready to pull the video off of the GoPro and find out that it recorded eight minutes and 15 seconds of video. And then... Eight, eight minutes and 15 seconds of video of about a 45-minute presentation. Yes, right, right. So it locked up. So we go to the iPhone and then trusty iPhone video. There it is. It's sort of. It's it's perfect. It's it's clear. It's all in HD. The sound is good. Everything was great. Um, I, just to take credit for it, I had the forethought to put it in airplane mode and do not disturb <laughs> and everything else so it wasn't like, you know, Apple News is alerting me about something in the middle of it or, you know, that my, uh, my Farmville plants need to be plowed up or anything. So, um, and Going old school. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I, I don't actually have Farmville anymore. anymore. I, don't, I don't know if it exists anymore. But, but yeah, so say, okay, all I have to do is just pull this off. It says, well, go to the phone, try to go into the actual folders, just trying to get the file and get it copied off, then took, because it was a, about an 8 gig file. Yep. It then took four and a half hours to fight through the various little errors of iTunes wouldn't back it up correctly, um, trying to get it copied off, thinking maybe I can sync it with Google Cloud and getting it off of there. I mean, just the whole process and... But Apple's so easy to use. And we we knew that we had enough time because it was only, you know, we had 48 hours to get the thing, the DVD burned, but we were going to burn it here from our headquarters in Fairfax. So it was being in Boston, getting it off of the phone, back to headquarters so it could get burnt and then FedExed back up. that was by far the most stressful right. part, at least for me, uh, of the entire thing. And the, the lessons we've learned about iPhone rejiggering. I know, right? And and the thing is, it almost makes me wonder if we ever have to do that again. I don't know if they still sell actual video cameras, right? But but if they do, it it might be a worthwhile investment to, to just go to the thrift store and just like buy one of those old school VHS. You know, everything analog. I want everything to be analog. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, maybe we can find one that still takes reel to reel tape, Ooh. and then I don't know if there's I like a, it. I don't know if there's a reel to reel tape to DVD Converted. conversion thing that we can buy. I mean, I've seen the ones that will take a VHS tape and turn it into a DVD. Right. But um, submitted on celluloid. That would be amazing. Yeah, right? Uh, please don't store this box in the heat. It will right, melt. Right, it will right? melt. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, so we just completed that one, and yeah. it lined up a little bit for me for some of the things that we saw from the other code challenge that we did recently is yep. that it sounds like the logistics of the that code is- challenge have as much to do with success as it honestly does with the technical aspect yeah so absolutely uh so we actually were part of a team uh with a partner of ours uh for 
uh, a contract called MDAS, which is a legitimate code challenge uh, thing that was a little bit odd because mo most code challenges are like you described, Adam, where it's, you have stuff, you have a day, and you have a problem, and you solve it. And that's great because it's, you know, it's, it's contained, and it's a, it's a very finite period of time, and it doesn't absorb your life like a project can. Almost like our Boston experience did. I mean, that was, you know, we worked for two days in advance, putting slides together and, and getting uh, all of the presenters ready to go. Then we were uh, logistics here where we took all of Mary's day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one day to get all of that put together and then travel to Boston, set up all day in rehearsal, then a day to do it where it's all of the logistics. Yeah, but it was very much a time-boxed, Right, couple of days, and it you know it, the actual presentation itself was really it, encapsulated. It was, it, but this MDAS challenge where we were providing a couple of people was literally weeks long, where they gave a much larger challenge, saying uh, you know use publicly available data, go do all of these things. Here are the requirements that you have to have. Go. And uh, it dropped, and it was it was very rare because it absorbed multiple people, it, like an entire sprint team, um, for literally as much time as they were able to give for multiple weeks, which is which is really interesting because I mean most most government contractors are set up to have proposal writers to have maybe an architect who can help visualize things and put stuff together and uh you know some writers some editors and things like that you don't have database administrators uh, uh javascript programmers uh and system administrators sitting around waiting to do work well yeah and one of the things that i've always seen as a as a challenge for that is I've always believed that anything that you do that you don't do frequently, you start to get rusty at. And yep. so proposal writers write proposals and do it frequently, so they, they, they are, they're used to doing that. Architects end up you know, creating solutions, and they can do that frequently, and they can pay attention and be involved in industry and see how that goes and do that. Yep. Developers don't want to just sit and work on theoretical proposal type things because every one of them that I've ever talked to has always said if I don't stay involved in doing this for 6 to 12 months my skills atrophy yeah exactly so so yep. you're right we you know we yeah. we don't just have technical people with nothing to do right so we so we and all of the partners i mean part of the biggest challenge was with this was you know our, our prime put out an all call saying all right, these are the technologies that, that they say they're going to need because um, there was a written proposal to go with it. So, I mean, uh, they actually did a great job managing the written proposal and then having the technical proposal or the, the code challenge to go with it. But we've now been notified, here are the technologies that's going, here's the challenge, these are the people that we need, who do you have, right, to, for them and, and all of their partners. And we were able to provide uh, a front-end person and... Um, really a switch hitter, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, someone who is good at database, good at, at system administration, good at, at you know, he, he's done Java and, and everything else. And so he's not like deep expert in everything, but you can put him in a room and, and he can just be like, okay, you need this, 
great. Uh, so the legit, I mean, it really is like the logistical problem. It's that you don't know what the problem is going to be, but you know you're going to have to get, you know, uh, a Jira or Microsoft Teams or something set up to manage the tasks. Uh, it's all about having Agile. It, you're going to need to have laptops provisioned for that team with the right tools that are on it. And that's not something that you can necessarily wait for things to just happen immediate or on it, so or once it's issued to, to go, uh, you're almost certainly going to want dedicated space so that people can be co-located around around it, so that everyone can be showing, you know, as part of the agile team. Um, I know co-location isn't necessary, but when you have to get from form storm norm to perform in about 15 minutes, um, that's really hard. Uh, and so if you're not if you're not co-located and looking at each other. Um, and so we we found that it was, you know, the lessons learned, because this was our first one like this, uh, was, you know, we need to have, you know, tool set stood up, have some basic, uh, you know, DevOps things put together in place to be able to spin up so that we're not having to put the infrastructure in place around it, and then have you know, scrum masters that are like, you know, we're, we're going, right? Here's what it is. And like, literally, they were running sprints that were four hours long. And they were doing two a day. And to, to get through all of that for a couple of weeks, and it was over a holiday, and you know, some folks had to give up a holiday for that. And it, but they, they really dove, dove right at it. But uh, it really is, uh, it, 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 I mean, it's like, I remember in high school English, they say short stories are, are that much more intense because you don't have a novel's worth of space to, to be able to put it in, in place. These code challenges are like short stories. They're really intense. It's, it's very compressed. I mean, they don't ask for as much output, but you're going to have to have something with data. You're going to have to have, well, you're going to have to have something with data. You're going to have to have something with interface. You're going to have to stand it up on something. You're going to have to have code storage and repository, you're going to have to have code release, you're going to have to have everything that you have in a larger project that you can spend weeks setting up and perfecting, like that. So how how prescriptive was it on the exact tool chain as opposed to results driven, just show me that yep. you can make this happen? So they listed what tools they currently use, and the irony being Oracle was on it as a database, but then they were pretty prescriptive saying, you can use anything. If you use anything that's not open source, you'll be penalized. Oh, wow. Right? So uh, we didn't use Oracle, <laughs> right. right? Because, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was all, all open source everything. So that means that you're using, you're using JavaScript, you're using Git, you're using um, uh, MariaDB, which is what they, call MySQL now. Uh, and then there was uh, actual machine learning stuff around it too. That's what our prime was experts on. So mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't have as, as deep uh, an understanding of those technologies. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it was all Apache and, and all, all of the open source tool stack on it. So when you're going to do a code challenge like that, how much of the code do you think is is existing code library GitHub type stuff versus 
happen to custom right, or does it just it's depend on a what they're... Great question. It's, in fact, one that we asked. Um, uh, because this was actually... The, the two-week code challenge was a down-select for a one-day code challenge, right? So more standard. So, like, super invasive in terms of time for things. Um, so what it boiled down to for the two-week code challenge, you could use anything that you could find, but they picked a problem you're not going to go out and find a solution for, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, it was, yes, you know, there's AngularJS, you know, common things out there that you can go out and you can pull down. And so you can... User authentication uh, or whatever. Oh, thank goodness they didn't require you uh, security implementation on it because that, that by itself would be even bigger. It was, but like, you know, uh, single page scrollable, you know, more data as, as you go down and everything through that, you know, clickable with, you know, filtering and searching. And so there's, there's a lot of libraries that give you the tools for it so like you could use a hammer you don't have to build a hammer but they're not gonna they're not gonna give you a you know a wall of studs already put in place yeah. right um well i think so. that makes sense too because I've, I've, I've had conversations over the years before about so you know why does the government have so many custom applications across right. it and it's like well there are some areas where there might be some business requirements that are generic enough yep. and now there are some platforms like a Microsoft Dynamics or a Microsoft SharePoint or there's various other ones where you can People say soft. yeah th this is yeah. close enough and then we can do a little bit of customization on top of this and yep. at the end of the day this is essentially just a generic workflow or this is a generic yep. you know ETL type activity where we just right. have to m migrate some data to a different box and do something to it, and it's yep. not that big a deal. But, you know, so many of the systems that I've been involved with over the years, it's like Microsoft doesn't make a solution to make passports. Nope. Um, th <laughs> there, there is no uh, application for tracking chemical samples. Like, the, most right. of those things, you know, just largely do not exist. Right. And most industries that have built their own are not in the business of selling anything to the federal government so if you need yeah. a if you need a prisoner management application there are some companies that run prisons that have yep. built one but they're not trying to sell them to the federal government the so federal government has different rules around everything yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and, and so many times i mean so many of these applications when you look at foreign content and uh, mm. availability of the code base and everything else, oh, yeah. they're just not going to buy it, yeah. especially in you know, the cleared environments, which, oh, I mean, essentially yeah. any federal application, even if it's not cleared work, the application and servers end up being oh, yeah. cleared. I mean, well, anything that has on. to go through FISMA yeah. is going to have issues with a lot of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, which is why I think they're doing more and more of these, show me that you can do it. And they're they're doing things like you know, instead of just having key personnel where you look at the resume or key personnel where you have them talk in front of a, a PowerPoint slide, you're looking at key personnel literally working together to solve a problem. Now, it's a small problem, smaller problem, um, that, that, you know, you have to, and it shows 
the rigor with which you follow the process and it shows that you eat your own dog food, right? Mm -hmm. It is, uh, and honestly, it is why even after the the two-week sprint that we did with them, uh, with our prime, we had the same team getting back together and running one day code challenges just because you can't, in a one day, you can't, ha- I mean, everyone has to already know what everyone can do. It has to be a gelled team. Yeah, that makes and, a lot of sense. And everyone everyone will be able to tell. I mean, and there are, there are other tech companies out there that literally run code challenges once a week. And they just do it internally just to, just to stay sharp. And it's, uh, um, it's interesting. It's, they're expensive, but, mm-hmm. but. So how did the government end up measuring the goodness, if you will, of what we did? Was it, was it speed to come out of the room and say, we're done? Was it? So what we did for this one, since it was longer than a day. Right. Um, they judged it by, uh, yeah, it had to be scripted deployment. What you did is you gave them a, a URL to a Git repository with a password to get into it, and that's it. Inside that repository, you had to have a readme file that would tell them how to execute the scripts to spin it up and make it go. That's kind of fascinating. So it's just you you had to essentially put it in a box. You put it in a box and you tell them how to open it and then you go away. I mean, so it's 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 almost I mean, it's the close to the same version of using like an install shield to It's exactly say, what it is. Yeah. Here is a COTS install ready piece of software yep. and then it was just their experience. Yeah. Opening it, using it, etc. Now, did they then take an underlying look at the code, or use tools to scan it, or do we know? We don't know, but we had to provide all of the source code, which means they absolutely could have. Okay, so it was a uh, it was most likely a multifaceted. Let's see if it works. If it does work, let's see how elegant it is. Right, and if it's elegant. And it works. Let's invite you back. Yeah, I mean that. It's interesting, and you know, one of the other kind of thoughts I have about it is, I think it is a nice way for employees across the company to be able to be involved yep. in a proposal process that is much more tangible and realistic for them. Because when you call somebody in to help with the proposal process, and Say okay, we're talking about maintaining application X for the government. Yep. Um, talk to me about how, if we want to transform that into a DevOps environment, talk to me about how we would do that. And usually, there's not enough information to really have a technical person be satisfied with the answer they're going to give you. Because right. they say, "Well, well, it all depends." Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. are are we going to use Jira to track this or something else? Right. Well, they didn't say it doesn't matter. Is it already under ATO? Are we allowed to do a major change? Well, we're, we're not <laughs> sure. Uh, we're not sure where we're starting from. Right. And, and so those are the yeah. kinds of things that for them make it, well, this seems like such a theoretical exercise. I mean, I guess I can give you some notes, but it really you know, seems like a confusing thing to do. When you have a code challenge, it's, 
hey, how about you come over here, devote some time to this, and yeah. you get to actually make a thing. I, I think that's... It was certainly rewarding for our folks. I mean, the feedback yeah. I got, they, they folks that we had involved in it really liked it. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, uh, you know, shout out to, to Rob and John. Uh, Rob, Robert really, he thought it was great. Um, and he, you know, talked with me extensively about... You know, hey, this is where this is what was great about it. This is how, when we're doing this ourselves, this is how we can do it better, uh, or this is this is how what we can improve on. This is what I wish I had known coming in first. And you know, I mean, that's uh, you can't hope for anything better than that coming out of really your first experience in, I guess, sort of modern mm-hmm. modern code challenges with with how they're how they're doing this, uh, especially. Because it's out of DHS, which is, you know, they—that's how they—that's how they're working now. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to um, having the opportunity for our team to continue to do uh, to do more of those. Yeah. We certainly um, just of the things that we are intending on bidding on the next several months. There's a lot of uh, code challenge types of of endeavors, and another thing that we end up pitching a lot are. Uh, pilot solutions for customers because um, you know the things that we try to target a lot of times for uh, for value for organizations is we think you know if if you've got something that is a legacy system or if you've got something that is um, pure customized or something that is suboptimal for what you're trying to accomplish go out and do a little bit of a market analysis and see what else is out there. And very frequently, there's what seems to be a pretty good answer. But where it really kind of turns into reality is integration points are always the hard part. And everything always says that it will integrate with everything. And then... And with enough time, money, and holes in a firewall, it probably will. Yeah, and that's what it really comes down to is you start to go, well... You know, they're just going to have to turn their firewall off, and this will collect all the data you need. And it's like, well, that okay, that can't happen. And then they're like, <laughs> yeah. well, if so, if that doesn't work, then it turns out the integration point is it's just going to dump it into a flat file, and somebody's going to have to manually load all this in. And you're yep. like, okay, well, that that doesn't work either. That doesn't work either. So, um, so I think we we are going to continue to do pilots, and we are going to continue to do code challenges. Yep. Pilots also make the change management portion a lot easier. You know, it's a all the paperwork and all of the cultural shock of, of something new and different. Start small, and you you know you, you just turn the heat up a little bit. And the lobster doesn't know that it's in a pot. I mean, right. it's just it's so much so much easier when you can do it that way. And it's also a a great way for the government to figure out, uh, just like code challenges are. I mean, it's it costs them less money to figure out if it's actually going to solve their problems. Yeah, and the other thing is it's it's also very, very concerning and intimidating and, and there's risk to it. When you are, when you start to look at large enterprises, you know, if you're going to build a system that's got 25 users and you say, okay, I'm going to need, you know, a couple of licenses of this, I'm going to have to spin up a couple of server instances, I'm going to have to train 25 people and how the new app is going to work. Yep. That's one thing. And worst case scenario, you did it, and for some reason it turns out that it didn't work. It would be very bad, but it's not agency-level 
bad impact. It doesn't send the director to Congress to explain why it went sideways. Yeah, but when you start to look at, okay, we're going to roll this thing out. I mean, I know some of the, the different applications I've I've worked on over the years where you have a global user base. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did a, a deployment one time where um, our first run of pilot uh, locations one was in Jamaica one was Hong Kong yeah. and we had one that was I want to say Mexico just the the real the realization that if we were going to do 270 global sites at that scale if we just, even though it ended up going through and it ended up working, if we had encountered the problems that we did just doing those pilot sites, if we had encountered them on a global scale, it, either, I mean, you know how, how time or money, yeah. it, it either would have cost a whole lot more money to stay on schedule by throwing people at it, or it would have yeah. taken forever to to get it done Absolutely. i mean and a lot of that it came down to it was an integration point of a third-party tool that i mean this is really really dated technology at this point but at that point back then the ability to insert a barcode into a pdf yeah. did not exist natively in adobe software and so there was a third-party plugin that we had to buy to create a barcode that would then be inserted into a PDF and bind that PDF to the barcode number so that it could be scanned and kept and uniquely identified. And, and what oh, we yeah. found out well, was all of the documentation from that company about the scalability of their product was really <laughs> theoretical. And so... Of course it'll work. When we used it, on a machine, the developer said, yeah, that works great. Look at it. It works great. And then we rolled it out to the location between here and Jamaica where you had dozens of concurrent transactions. Right. And the server that we had that was based back here, Tipped over. The, the processor spiked at 100% and stayed there until the motherboard temperature circuits an announced that basically the CPU was melting. Was on fire. Yeah, because that's an email that I got. Um, my, my sysadmin wow. uh, called me and said, by the way, how do I charge my overtime hours? And I said, why do we have to charge overtime hours? And he says, well, I'm, I'm driving to Maryland now to go fix the server this to figure out what I can do. And I said, what happened? He says, well, it, it kind of... Caught on fire defense. because of the, the spec. And I said, oh, well, what are you going to do? He's like, well, they turned it off because it was melting. And I'm like, oh, you mean really fire? He's like, yeah, it got hot enough that the board started to melt, and so we have to go fix that and then move it to a new <laughs> box and all of that. Wow. And that was all based on, I mean... Of the whole scale of the project, that was just such a minor Tiny nuance. Part. I mean, this was this was an application so that somebody could go in and make an appointment. Yeah. And so all the barcode was, I mean, just like if you were going to go to 
I don't know, DMV or when you go to, um, you know, the, the, the 930 Club or to some concert venue and you want to be able to scan a ticket to says, I, I'm supposed to be here at a given time or the movie tickets through Fang, Fandango, all you really needed was what we now have as QR codes, which didn't exist at that point, really. And that's all it was. So all of the information collection, form gathering, processing the payment for the appointment and getting it into the government lockbox and all of this other stuff all worked fine. The Just couldn't put a barcode on it. The barcode that had to go onto what was essentially their ticket to show up for an appointment caused the entire thing to melt down. Literally. And we had to end up figuring out a way to custom write that. Wow. Um, because we couldn't find a third-party module back then sure. to do that. And, of course, now you can probably go out on Google or any place else or GitHub yeah, or something. You could probably right-click insert barcode. <laughs> it, yeah, and it, it probably exists in absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, so I, I think it, it, there's a lot to be said for code challenges. There's a lot yeah. to be said for, uh, for doing pilots. And, um, you know, we're, we're glad that we have the opportunity to do those and um, yeah. so that's that, that's been a good experience, and we think the employees have liked it too. I, uh, I know they have. Yeah. They've actually commented on it. Uh, Robert's really excited to do more. Yeah. So. Well, and so that's pretty much what we wanted to talk about uh, today on Highlight Cast. We will uh, come back in as we kind of finish up the government fiscal year here. Um, there's likely to be other things that um, that show up. We've got some other. ISO certifications that we're working on that we'll talk about in future episodes, and um, we likely have some more travel to do as we complete the startup of some of our contracts, but um, aside from that, we've got just a a summer of activity, which is very common in in government contracting, that you have kind of a flurry between, you know, summer through probably early October, and then sometimes it'll yep. slow down a little bit, and then, um, you know, occasionally you get an RFP to drop uh, right around the, the Thanksgiving holiday, but... Of course it, you do, it, and then a, but after Christmas, before New Year's. Yeah, yeah but absolutely. You, you get some little pockets of a little bit of slowdown between um, now and then, but um, so we'll, we'll, get, we'll keep everybody updated on how the summer progresses, and uh, I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect Highlight Technologies and or any agency of the U.S. government.